Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be back with you and to come feel very much at home here in Berwick. Um, I have some slides I want you to take a quick look, look at. Um, I have, uh, this morning I want to tell you a little bit about this church. I, I host a large number of teams that come over and help us build churches. We've built uh, 82 in the last two terms. It's our goal to continue to build churches in our future terms, as well as minister at the Bible school, teach at the Bible school, and possibly start a church among the Muslims. Um, A little story about this. I met a young pastor. His name is Hill, Ismail, and he was on a list. I I have a list, a large list of churches that are... are, uh, needing a a facility. Uh, Some have no facilities. This church had no facility. They worshiped outside with their umbrellas. In a little while, I'll show you another church that used to worship outside under the umbrellas. The first time I preached that church, I preached under an umbrella, and I preached to the umbrellas because I couldn't see anybody hardly in the church uh, because they were trying to uh, stay out of the rain. So, uh, this church, um, several years now ago, I met this young man and I was interviewing him as a possible candidate to be able to receive a church. He had a very small group of people. It was um, um, mostly older ladies that knew how to pray and touch God. And so this is the nucleus that he started with and was working with. And they had one youth, as far as I know, and he was the leader of praise and worship. He was 14 years old, and he was a crackerjack praise and worship leader. I'm telling you, he just brought the house down, and we entered into the presence of God and made it lively because of his youth. When I interviewed the pastor, I wanted to know what his vision, you know, if I'm going to help him, and sometimes that's a, a large capital outlay, um, I wanted to know what his vision was. And then he said to me, well, Pastor Randall said, the Lord has showed me. Okay, there's a click. The Lord has showed me. And then he began to itemize what the Lord has showed me. And he said, the Lord has showed me that the Lord has given us this province for Jesus. That we're going to have an assembly of God church. In every municipality, every town, every village, and brought us down to the lowest level, every barangay. Now, a barangay is kind of like a precinct. It's this invisible line that's used for political things like keeping track of the population and, and voting and things like that. So that every one of these places would have an assembly of God church. And I looked at the young man and I'm thinking, he's awfully young. (laughs) And I'm thinking, is this really God? That's such a huge vision. Is there any pastor in Louisiana believe in God for every single town in our state? A province is a state, okay? That's how it translates. Is there anybody dreaming that they would have an assembly of God church in every municipality, every town, every village? And as I listened to this young man and he shared his heart, I'm evaluating, okay? And I'm, I'm thinking, how's he going to do this? 
This is a country that is poor. This is a developing country, okay? At best, it's a second world country, but most of the places I've been, it's third world. Poverty is rampant. This happened to be an island that would be considered a middle-class island. That's not like middle-class America. So many people live off the land or live off the fish that they can get out of the sea. After I listened to him, and I'm evaluating this, and I, I said this question to Pastor Hill. I said, how do you intend to see your vision come to pass? And he said, well, Pastor Randall, we're going to have cell groups. And we're going to have cell groups that will disciple people for Jesus. They don't have a building. He just started Bible school, and he's a freshman in Bible school, and he's got all this vision. How is that going to take place? So after I heard him say that, he said, well, do you have any cell groups now? And he said, we have a cell group for women's ministries. We have a cell group for men's ministries. We have a cell group that reaches out to the the local college. We have a cell group that reaches the young people. And we have a cell group that reaches out to the professionals. And I thought, well, that's a good start. I'm thinking that's a good start. After a, a little bit of greeting and stuff like that and eating some Filipino food, I went my way. And I talked to the general superintendent of the Philippines, and I said, um, I need a, I need a um, unrelated, as I'm there, and I ask him, uh, I have a team that is interested in coming to the Philippines, and the, the team is coming from Pennsylvania, Delaware, and, you know, it's a very cold climate. I've been in the, I've been in the uh, Philippines, I've I've been in Pennsylvania when it was in June and it was snowing. And I'm, and I'm telling the superintendent, I have a team that is interested in coming to the Philippines. And he says to me, we have a young man that's in Gimaras. His name is Hill Ismael. I think, well, this is, this is a, a big confirmation, you know. And I, I, I didn't know the history of Hill at that point. And they said, Oh, yeah, he had a youth group that was just exponential in growth. He's full of salt and light. And I thought, well, this is my man. So we made provision. We made plans for the team to come from Pennsylvania, and I told the church. I went back to Pastor Hill, and I told him, I have a team that I would like to, to um, uh, come to your church. And so prior to that he was sending me a picture and he'd say Pastor Randall we're praying for you that the Lord will show you um, how we can get a church and he'd send me a picture of his cell group that was the prayer group outside under the sun half a dozen people during the, during the mid during the week and he's sending me a pic, regularly sending me pictures of their prayer meeting praying for me and it all was really praying for them because it was what God was going to do through their prayers. So finally the time came and the team came from Pennsylvania. Mostly girls. A couple of them high school. The rest of them college girls. A couple of boys. And it just seems like this is an odd mix because what we're going to be doing is pouring concrete. 
It was quite amusing to see how this was taking place because when the, when the team was out there working, the girls would carry the concrete like the boys. Except the girls would carry 84-pound sack of concrete like this, and they would come. Well, the Filipino men, you know, they, they couldn't feel like they were being outdone. You know, they would carry their sack of semen up here like they're tough. Now, you bear in mind, Filipinos are about this tall. Carrying an 84-pound sack of concrete. Well, just to let you know, women don't do construction work in the Philippines. That's like a cultural taboo. They just don't do it. Well, for them to see a girl carry an an 84-pound sack of cement, that just didn't register with them. So after you've seen a round of girls go through and carry in cement, yes, there was a couple of girls that were too little, and they had to team up to carry cement. And that was okay. But the problem was is these men were just not processing this very well, and so the Filipino man would... And then he'd do this. And then you would see this. as the men couldn't be outdone. What a humorous occasion. It was exciting to see the, 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 the church progress and take its shape, and it was amazing how God was working. I'm going to back up from the time that I first went to the church until the time the team came. This is the church. I told you that they had their prayer meeting. I don't know if I told you they fasted and prayed every week. What they would hear on Sunday was, what days we are going to fast and pray this week. We will pray, we will fast and pray Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, or whatever it may be. This is the church that fasting and praying built. That was so strategic because the woman that owned the grocery store, the largest in the province, the woman that owned the grocery store got saved. That's strategic. Sometime later, the man who owned the local lumber yard got saved. Alcohol just eating him up and his desperation, he got saved. And the week before the team came, he got delivered. Hallelujah. I'm telling you how strategic that man was. Before the team was to come, they were to have the concrete columns put up. And because this is a two-story building, the columns are huge. There are approximately almost five feet, five feet this way and two feet this way. This is a seismic country, and we have to build according to the seismic code that is in that particular area. That was the columns that were going to support the second floor. Huge columns. Much bigger than anything we would see in America to this size because we just don't have the seismic activity like they have. So... The man that, that uh, got the man that got saved donated steel and an eighteen wheeler load of sacks of cement. That awesome. God did a marvelous work of grace in him. Now the church is still fasting and praying. In fact, to this day, there are fasting and praying church. I saw Pastor Hill a few months ago, and. Um, well, let me back up a little bit. Every time I would go to the church to say, Pastor Hill, how many cell groups do you have? Well, Pastor, I think we have 19 now. The next time, like 39. The next time, 69. Then 99. Then 150. And then, 
you know, this church is strategic because it's right in the middle of the province, right smack dab in the middle. And they're regularly doing outreaches all throughout the island. It's an island province. <clears throat> and so um, something happened in the church here about two years ago. And I went down to see what was going on. Pastor Hill says, there was a person that came from the government. They came to our church. And, the, and, they, and what the government said, we heard that people in your church are getting off the poverty rolls. And we want to find out what you're doing. So he tells them, you know, we teach people about the Bible. We teach them about life skills and on and on, you know. And then as it, as it unfolds, this person from the government says, we want you to teach all the people on poverty in the entire province. We want you to teach them how to get off the rolls of poverty. Would you be willing that we could that we could bus people all the way to your church? Would you be willing to teach them from every end of the province? We will bus them to your church so you can train them. And so they began, kind of a humble beginning, but here comes kids. Here's moms with kids. And they're coming to the church on Tuesdays and they're coming on Thursdays. And they would probably, they would probably want them to do more than that. But the church was busy. It was a busy beehive of all the activities that were going on. But these days were set aside to help the people get off poverty. So when they came, they had a crowd breaker for the, for the adults and the kids were sent off in the back. And the kids, you know what, what the kids were having? Children's church. And do you know what the adults were having? The adults were having church. That's all they were doing. Nothing out of the ordinary, just like what they would do on Sundays. They would do it again. They would do it again on Tuesday. They would do it again as the people were bussed in. Did you know the government paid all of that bus fare and paid them to have snacks for all those people? And this is, this is a pilot program in the Philippines. And what they noticed was these people are truly being helped. I want you to know the gospel, the gospel is transformational. It changes us. It changes our priorities. We, we, we don't want to be a, 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 just a, a receiver. It's all about us. It's becoming a giver. And, it's, and, and so the gospel changes people's lives. The neat part about it is the pastor's vision. He wanted to have an assembly of God church in every municipality. So a few months back, I asked Pastor Hill. He came to Cebu, where I, where I work at the Bible College. He came to Cebu, and he was going to be doing some training. Uh, actually, they want to know, what, what are you doing? How come you have so many cell groups? So I said, Brother Hill, how many cell groups do you have? And he said, I have 199, but we're not starting anymore. We're doing something different. Let me tell you what he's doing different. Because they bust people from all over coming into his church. And these people were strategic and they were being trained. Many of those people that were on poverty rolls that had been sent to his church are now cell group leaders. So all throughout those places where they're sent, we are seeing the beginnings of many Assemblies of God churches springing up. Back to the team. 
When the team came, we were working so hard. In Pennsylvania, it's cool climate. It's comfortable climate, except the winter. When they have the the lake effect and the, the snow blows down from Erie and it's blowing sideways, it's cold, I've been there. They're in the Philippines. No snow. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't get cold in the Philippines. We have two seasons, hot and wet and hot and dry. Figure that out. There's no cold. It's hot. And so, um, you know, I'm thinking these kids, are not, they're not going to be able to weather this. I've had teams from Pennsylvania before. And I'm thinking they're going to be worthless after lunch. I was wrong. From Pennsylvania, they were worthless after 10 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) They couldn't handle the humidity. But now I have a group of young people. They did really well. They worked so hard and so diligent. But about 2.30 in the afternoon, pastors shut it down. We're going to go do outreach. It's time to do our evangelism. That was a kind, it was a kind break for us because of so many in the team. It's just so hot. And so we all went back to our rooms. We cleaned all up and got, you know, smelling better and, and washed off the smell and put on fresh clothes and we went evangelizing. And I tell you what, this is how the pastor does it. He goes to a place, they set up a big sound system, they set up a borrowed keyboard, because they didn't own one, they had a big keyboard that, um, that um, they borrowed, and the team went, they went to worship, doing some worship songs, and then they jammed and had, had praise and worship, it was just awesome, awesome. And that 14-year-old worship leader, just exciting, and this is cold turkey, outside, in a marketplace, about 300 people were gathered just in a few minutes. And as soon as they finished praise and worship, the decap from Pendell District, the pastor hands them the phone, you preach. Wow. <laughs> in the marketplace, that's how that church is growing. Folks, the church that fasting and praying built. I think the only money they got from the Philippine from the US was about fifteen thousand dollars. You're seeing a miracle. Next slide. Next slide. That's another view. Next slide. Another slide. Okay, this is, a, this is a, a small portion of the building on the inside. If you can picture this place crammed full of, of people that are getting welfare. You know, if they did not come to these meetings, their check, their welfare check was reduced substantially. So the government was real serious about getting people off of poverty. And so um, this place would just be filled the building that you see is all sanctuary, although you're only seeing just uh, uh, maybe uh, 25% maybe. Next slide. Pastor Hill is in the uh, gray shirt, white slacks. His wife, Roselle, their daughter, Hannah Joy, and uh, Hannah Grace, and then the last one on the left is Hannah Joy. Hannah Joy, the little girl, 13 years old, is a regular featured speaker 
at women's conferences throughout the Philippines. Her theme that she teaches, she teaches personal devotions and intimacy with God. Can I tell you the family knows all about that? But this little 13-year-old, soon she became the conference the conference keynote speaker. In fact, if there is a conference that she is going to be at and one of the speakers, it inevitably is always a sellout conference. People will spend money they don't have to come watch a little 13-year-old or close her eyes and just talk about the presence of Jesus and what he wants to do in your life too. If you'll bend your knee and spend time in his presence and let God talk to you. She teaches journalism, journaling. She teaches keeping regular notes on what the Holy Ghost is saying to your life. Wouldn't you want to go to a conference like that? <laughs> Next slide. This picture was just taken. The, the previous picture was just taken at an encounter weekend at one of the other churches that I'm building. And um, this was... When I came here last time, I talked about a church. And out of that church, they had started seven churches. I was their first anniversary speaker. And this is the 10th anniversary that I was a speaker at. And the typhoon took the roof of this building and sent it a kilometer away. A kilometer away, more than a half a mile. The strongest registered wind in a typhoon over land ever recorded 203 miles per hour and the the storm is 60 miles wide 30 foot tidal wave i listened to someone from the airport was rehearsing what had happened they saw from the control tower the 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 water come in it was not a tidal wave it was a storm surge the water just came up Storm surge. And they watched as the water came up and it went over the top of the telephone poles. And when the storm surge passed, there were people hanging from the wires 35 feet up on the wires in that pole. Tragedy after tragedy took place. This church lost 26 of its members during that typhoon. This is their 10th anniversary. I need to tell you, they have started 10 Assembly of God churches out of their church. They're averaging now a new church plant once a year. And they do it through great distress and hardship and poverty. And God is faithful. When you support missionaries and you support what we do, it helps places like this get into a new church. We have 82 of these churches completed in the Philippines. And... It's exciting to see how God moves. You know, when there was nothing and then there's something and then you see the hand of God move and breathe on it and see great signs and wonders follow. Next slide. I work at a Bible school and I teach and this happens to be a, uh, um, the man standing happens to be a missionary, a Filipino missionary who went to Bible school here, then went to medical school And became a surgeon, all for the reason of being able to get into a Muslim country to share Jesus. 
And he became a strategic plant in Egypt. He came to be our chapel speaker on this day at 10 o'clock in the morning. He, he came to be our chapel speaker. Now he's back at lunchtime. And he asked the students that were in the 10 o'clock chapel, if you want to consider doing work among Muslims and you want to learn a little bit more how you can be a part of it, you come back. And the time was set during the lunch hour. 27 of our Bible college students, 27, have agreed to pray and consider what God will have them do to work with Muslims in other countries. Next slide. This is our gymnasium. This is a youth event. We planned for... (laughs) We planned for 800. Our campus is not a large campus, okay? We planned for 800. The day registration, before registration, the first day that registration opened, we had 800 plus students. They were not from our Bible school. Most of them were not from our Bible school. Over there from our, this is from our district council. They came to do a youth camp. Well, we realize we have a problem. When we are the first day, we have 800 paid registrations. How much is registration? Uh, $3. That's meals. <laughs> That's a place to stay. That's a place to stay in meals and water. What we had not encountered was so many came to the Bible school. A few days later, the day before, before the event, 24 hours before the event, we have 400 students show up the day before the event's to start. That's anticipation. The day that they came, by morning we had 800, by evening we had 1,100. You should see me and the, the, uh, the, the, district, the district, youth, uh, district youth leader uh, planning, we're trying to plan, what are we going to do on our little campus? What are we going to do with all these people? And so what ended up happening is I told them, look, we're going to have to find, we're going to have to find 30, 40 blue drums. Find those blue 55-gallon drums, you know, washing detergent comes in them and different things that we have in the Philippines. So we rounded up 29 of those and we made latrine, we made a latrine. Uh, some latrines and we made uh, places for water and we made water uh, places for shower you know showers done like this that's a little plastic bucket a little plastic pot you shower with cold water uh, that's how it feels good over there because everything's hot so big event we we hung up black uh, tarps they call them tarpaulin we hang, hang them up we made toilet facilities shower facilities is a, is a great occasion And this is where so many young people answered the call of God. This was a first. This was a first. Uh, A youth youth convention-like. Our very first. And so what what a big occasion. Next slide. I guess I'm all done. So that's what I do in the Philippines. Hey, I'd love to have you put together a team and come over and help me. There's lots to do. My title of my message, my thoughts today is, is, a, is a spend yourself. And I'm going to have my text at the end. That's okay. Uh, I've already said this, the gospel is transformational. It's transformational from, 
from me to him. It's all about him. And that's one step of the transition and the transformation. It's transferring it all to him. The very breath that we breathe, the life that we live, the purposes that we have, what we get up for and how we make it through the day, it's all about him. When it's about us, we're going to flounder, we're going to flounder, we're going to wander, we're going to find ourselves filled with emptiness. But when we put our hand in his and we learn that it's all about him, purpose becomes more plain. And then when we realize it's about him and it's about them, that's the ones that are outside. That's the ones that are lost, that, that need help. That's our, that's our purpose is to reach out to God, to reach out to them. And so in the course of life, in the course of our journey, I should say, with God, he's taken us through steps, through stages. I only want to hit on five of them today. And these stages, uh, probably most of you have been through probably one, number two, and maybe three. So I'm just going to highlight those. The first one is when we became desperate enough and we needed a Savior. And we cried out to God to save me. Save me is about salvation. The major religions of the world have merit salvation. That means you earn it. It's your good works that earn you salvation. But we learn that, that we must be saved from ourselves, from our sins. Then there's the, second, there's the second time in which God is dealing with us. And maybe when he's dealing with us, we come to a point of a sense of desperation. Did you know that no change comes in our life? without desperation. We come through a time in our life when, when maybe some events or some things that break us and in that breaking process and we draw near to God, he leads us. We come to a time when we, maybe we've already, we've met the Savior. We've experienced what it means in our desperation. And we said, save me, Lord. Maybe it happened in an old-fashioned altar. Maybe it happened in the church where you, the pastor was preaching. And, and in desperation, because of whatever was on, on your back or on your mind, you, you cried out and you found Jesus as Savior. Folks, that's just the beginning. There's so much more. The second step, save me, Lord. Search me, Lord. Listen to what the psalmist said. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. If there's any offensive way in me, lead me in the way of of everlasting. It's about sanctification. The first one, salvation. Then there's sanctification. You know, it's good that God saves us. God commended his love toward us when we were wretched sinners. God's love reached to us when we were in a state of depravity. And he saved us. But you know, God is not content with just you simply making heaven your home. Before you were born, there was a purpose for your life. There was a plan that was already written. It's it's in a book. One day you're going to check that out in heaven. God's plan for your life. And he's, he's in process of moving you forward in his plans. 
You may not be interested in growing. You may not be interested in having change. But I promise you, the God who loves us has plans for you. And that means change comes. And he brings you to a point where something in the inside is not right. You recognize there's an empty place. There's, there's darkness. You just don't feel the presence of God. And you cry out, search me, God. Know my heart. If there's any wicked way in me, rip it out of me. That was God that brought you to that place. That was God that brought you to salvation. That was God that brought you to the place where you're in desperation, crying out for more of him. Number three, stretch me, Lord. It's so easy to become comfortable. When we become comfortable, we become complacent. And it goes down from there. God is not in the business of just making us comfortable. That's American ideas. I work in a country where not very much is comfortable. And I come from a Western background, and I see them. They can be happy and content, and it's just amazing to see how they can, how their, their, their view of life is so different in spite of the difficulty. CNN showed when the typhoon went through Takloban Leyte. The people are such resilient. The commentator was saying, they're so resilient. You seen the next day, the kids playing basketball. Or you see the, you know, they, they weren't there the night that it happened or the, or the next morning. You know, they had to regroup. But then when they came in, they could show the people how resilient they were. And then they would ask them, how are you doing today? He said, I'm having a good day. It's a different perspective. It's more of a case at us, at us society. Whatever's going to be, it's going to be, and I'm just going to make the best of it. What do we do in America if it doesn't go our way and we lose the, we lose the football game? Man, it's just going to be a bad day. Lord, help me. So much does not go our way and we end up having to take tranquilizers to just have peace and rest. That's not God's plans. And listen, God wants to change so much in us and it's so much of our culture. Because God's plans for you are very real in his mind and he's going to stretch you. If I had a rubber band and I did like this, you know the taut point. You know when you can pull that rubber band and it's, it's, it's giving you a lot of tension, a resistance. But you can take that rubber band, and you, at that top point, you can just dip it a little bit. Do it a little bit. You're stretching it to the limit, and you pull in a little more. And you can do that for, for a few hours, and before you know it, that rubber band that used to be only about that big around is now that big around, just sitting on the counter. You know, you can see it's been stretched. That's what God does to us. He stretches us. And we think... I can't take any more of this. I don't know if I like God doing something like this. And we blame God. And what God is doing, he's working his good work in us to get us where he wants us to be so his purpose will be fulfilled. Rarely do I have a day that I don't have so much purpose going on in my life. You know, I don't, I don't need to have bad days because I'm too busy trying to catch up and do what I need to do for the day. 
uh, especially with what I'm doing overseas. It's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of work. And so God stretches us. We live in a, the Bible lets us know that our, our body is like a tent. You know, we are, we are triune being. We're body, soul, and spirit. And the spirit is, the spirit that's within us is the life of us. The, the, the soul, which is the mind and the will and the emotions, that's where we have so much of our problem. But that is the real us, the soul. It lives forever. And then there's the body. That's the tent. We live inside the tent. We live inside a tent of flesh. And what God says, enlarge your tent. Enlarge it. Make it bigger. Stretch it out. And God is enlarging our life on every side. That's not eating more. That's growing spiritually. Any, anything else? Five dollars, I'll tell you what you need. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. If you haven't spent time with God and gathered glimpses of your future, maybe it's a time for fasting and praying. Because God wants to reveal himself and he wants to give you glimpses in your future. I was 16 years old. I'd only been saved about eight or nine months. So everything was new. Just received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm having a dream. It's a reoccurring dream. 16 years old. I'm dreaming about building churches around the world. When I went to Bible school and I talked to one of, uh, one of our dean of students and and told him, you know, I had this reoccurring dream. He says, that's the call of God. I went to school as a missions major. And then I tried to get into the missions department. And they didn't think that way back then. And then I, I tried a second time. This was back in the 80s. I tried a second time to be a church builder around the world. It's like, we just don't need you. So I'm pastoring and I'm building churches for friends. I'm the tabernacle at the campground. That's one of the projects that I help finish up. 20 plus building programs in Louisiana, but yet there's this dream. And at 49 years old, we have a missionary. I'm pastoring in Shreveport and we have a missionary come through. And um, Martha Lesperance. She was single then, and she looked at me and she said, why aren't you in missions? I haven't been asked that question before. She didn't know anything of what I just told you. And she said that to me, why aren't you in missions? And I proceeded to tell her, I don't think they want me. (laughs) The next month we had another missionary come. And he says to me, almost word verbatim, why aren't you in missions? Hmm. Well, now the gears from when I was 16 years old is rolling over and over again. And I made contact with the missions department. They were ready for me. They don't know what happened. I should have been in missions for many years, they, they thought. But, 
man, when I, I came to this point for such a time in the kingdom as this, I believe there was many years of preparation. All the building churches here in the States and, and building commercial and industrial and pastoring here in Louisiana, it was all preparation. God doesn't waste anything. He takes our life and he brings us to a point. I can't tell you why it didn't happen in those early days, but for such a time as this. So now in two terms, 82 churches have been finished. And I can tell you with the budget that it takes to build those churches, it was a God thing. Because I don't come from a family that has money. You know, my dad was a government worker. We just didn't have the money. And so it's a God thing. And God has awesome plans for you. I need to move on. Stretch me, Lord. Qualifying us. Send me, Lord. Isaiah. Doing his regular responsibilities in the temple. Somewhat menial, somewhat routine. He's doing his task in the temple. And a voice comes out and says, Whom shall I send? Who's going to represent us? Well, if Pastor Mo was here and he was inside the church, everybody else is gone. And he was fixing a light bulb or maybe he was praying. Doesn't take rocket science. You can look around. There's nobody else in there in the room. I guess he's talking to me. He's talking to you. Who's going to be represent my representative who will go for us? There's the Trinity. Isaiah said, here am I. You know, sometimes the Lord sends us where we don't want to go. And what the Lord was saying to Isaiah was not an easy thing. Because there were people that were not wanting to hear what he was going to share. The rest of that ver- the rest of those verses that follow make their ears dull, their hearts hard, their hearts hard. God is in the sending business. And it might be the ballpark, it might be the nursing home. It might be the schoolhouse. It might be the jailhouse. There's something that you can do in the kingdom of God. There's things to do. There are people to reach. The lost are all around us. In the Philippines, we, har- we have harvest year-round. We have planting and harvest year-round. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Planting, planting, planting. And pastor, you reap a lot what you haven't sowed, at least not in this church, but you've You've labored in the past and you planted, but you reap. There comes a time when the flow comes in. There comes the harvest comes in. And you know, the Bible says, lift up your eyes and look at the harvest. We're preoccupied. We have our TV shows to watch. We have our meals to prepare. We have kids to tend to. All that's valid and important things, but God says, lift up your eyes. People become invisible in our own neighborhoods. We drive by them. We know them. We might wave hi to them. But after a while, we don't know what goes on in their heart. We, don't know. We, we, we lose touch. We don't see them anymore. We don't see the old lady that rocks in, the, rocks in her rocker out on the porch. We just drive by and we miss things that go on. People become invisible. They're all around us. And the Bible says, lift up your eyes and look. 
Look, they're there. God has a harvest with your name on it. That's not just pastor's job. This is the kingdom of God. And you're a part of it. We're laborers together. And when God wants to send you, it doesn't have to be the other side of the world, but it could be. Because the Bible says to all of us, a universal call, go into all the world. There's something for us to do. Send me, Lord. And sometimes when God speaks to you, I don't want to do that. (laughs) We don't actually say that. But in our mind, I don't want to do that. But that's your harvest. And that's your future. And that's your blessing. When God tells us to do something, our flesh will resist it. Next slide. And I want to close with this one. My text in Isaiah 58. And I'm only going to read just a portion of it. This is the fast that the Lord has chosen. Are you tired of your life just being empty and without purpose? And going through routine where there's no wind of God, there's no flow of life. God has the answer for that. When I look in the Bible and I need something to pick me up out of a dry place. Isaiah 58 is one of those places. Romans 8 is one of those places. Finding the word that will strengthen you. Folks, Isaiah 58 is one of the best. It's not going to pat you on the back and say everything's rosy. He's going to change your destiny. Verse 10. Bring that up, please. Isaiah 58, 10. If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed... Then your light will become like the noonday, and the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your need in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame, and you will be like a well-watered garden, like springs whose waters never fail. Guidance? Satisfying you? When you see a promise that's in the Bible, it will begin if... We like the then part. We have to take the if because it's conditional. The promises are conditional on our responses. If we'll spend yourselves, if you'll spend yourselves, what does that mean? I had a gentleman that I had trained in the carpentry trades. He worked with me for several years. He runs his own business now. And I asked him a few months back, I said, Mike, why don't you come with me, come to the Philippines and help me build a church in the Philippines? And he said, how much does it pay? (laughs) Now, that's funny, isn't it? (laughs) If you don't understand missions, it costs you. It costs me. You pay. Mike, I said, Mike, it doesn't work that way. I said, you take your vacation and you spend your money, you buy your airfare, and you pay for your expenses while you're over there. 
And I said, and Mike, by the way, after you've been there a week or so, you're never the same. John Williams at First Assembly, West Monroe, I was a youth pastor there many, many years ago. We had a gentleman that his whole life thrived on reaching boys and girls for Jesus. John Williams was a gray-haired man. He loved God. He loved kids. And his passion was to go knock on doors and find more kids. And one day he came to Brother Ashbrook. Brother Ashbrook, we need, we need two more buses. Well, John, we already have six and we have uh, a group of vans. That's not enough to bus these kids. Brother Ashbrook, we need two more buses. We have so many more kids that we can pick up if we just had two more, two more. That was his passion. There's something with your life has passion written on. Something that you can be excited about and dream about how God can use you. I just finished reading a book uh, last night. One of these kind of books you can't put down. is It was a, uh, about a guy from Centerville, Louisiana. No education. He was the son of a slave who cried out to God and cried out to God. And it seemed like God was so far away. Listen, when you pray, it gets stored up. Those tears are stored in a bottle. And one day there is a reaping. And it, I, if, you've, if you've sowed in prayer for a long time, there's a glorious reaping. This black kid grew up in utter poverty. And then his parents died. And he had to scrounge for his own. And he got his, a disease and he lost vision in one of his eyes. He dreamed of going north so he could make a living, so he could take care of himself and hopefully one day have a family. But then this one-eyed black man gets saved. And then he's preoccupied with the presence of God. I'm leaving a lot of detail out. If he could get more of his presence... A little more, a little more. Charles Parham had had a Bible school and had been teaching people about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And out of, out of that he gleaned, God wants to give me, fill me with the Holy Spirit. He went to Los Angeles. There was a hungering and a thirsting going on. Several little groups of people starving and crying out for the presence of God. And William Seymour began to teach people about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the group began to grow. And somebody let them use their house. They were still living in the house, but to use their house for a preaching place. And soon the Bonnie Bray house become full. And then they, they needed to move from there because the neighborhood was disturbed because the prayer meetings were going on all night. Every day, all night. Finally, they located a little warehouse, a little stable, rank with the smell of animals, 
And the people went and helped clean it up. And suddenly these little groups of people that had been crying out for the presence of God began to converge at 315 Azusa Street in Los Angeles. And there was an outpouring of God there that lasted about six years. The best part of it for two and a half years. Thousands of people saved. Thousands of people full of the Holy Ghost. Thousands of people miraculously healed with creative miracles. That means an arm came out of the, the shoulder. An arm grew out. Lots of creative miracles. There's something about the presence of God for our life. And William Seymour found his ministry. There's a ministry with your name on it. There's purpose for all of you. When God says, who will be my representative at the local schoolhouse? We need a coach that will love on kids. Here am I, send me. John Williams lived for that bus ministry. That was his purpose. And as long as he was able, that ministry at First Assembly flourished. You know, those kind of purposes of reaching somebody, John Williams would never be a preacher behind a pulpit. In fact, when he would get up to share the need, (laughs) Brother Ashbrook would have to share the need for him. Because his cry was, as people would get saved. Spend yourselves, if you'll spend yourself, your money. You know, women's ministries, men's ministries, Royal Rangers, missionettes, all these are wonderful, but they need people to answer the call. You can be a part of something revolutionary. Where the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is established in the hearts of the people here, and it becomes a place where the glory of God falls and dwells. In Azusa Street, in that little stable place where they were having church, there was a regular mist that came in because prayer was going out twenty-four hours a day. In that place, there was a mist that was in there. People tried to touch it. A little boy, that a little three-year-old, they watched him as he was trying to, to get the mist. It was the Shekinah glory of God. I can tell you, the more we welcome God in this place, we set, we set the limitations of how much God we want. We set the limitations on how much time we're going to spend in front of the television, We set the limitations on whatever we will squander our time with. Many things can be our God. Oh, America, we only serve Jesus. Folks, we serve the God of our treasures, our automobiles. The list is extensive. Anything can become our God. But when the Lord, the very first Ten Commandments... The Lord God should be your only God. 
Are you willing to spend yourself? I remember as a little kid going to a building program, going to a building program at the Methodist Church. My dad was teaching us right. We would we would go down there and we'd scrub on different things, and we we're just little kids. Spend yourself. Attached to spend yourself, purpose. Attached to that, the wind of God, the blessing of God. Go back to verse 10 and 11. Your light will rise in the darkness. No more days of depression and despair. The Lord, will he'll become like your noonday. He'll guide you. I'm going to tell you how important guidance is. Step by step, the Lord will lead you. How significant is it? It's a step. One step the right direction will lead to another step in the right direction. But if we side to side step and go somewhere else, we're going to be like children of Israel. We're going to wander. The Lord will guide you always. He'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. I can tell you. I don't know how God supplies needs, but I tell you, he does. He does. He'll strengthen your frame. Be like a well-watered garden. Wow. Springs whose waters never fail. Are you ready to let, let, let God be God? And let him arise in you and shine in you and let his glory come upon you. Holy Spirit, would you speak in this house? Speak in this house, Lord. Speak, Lord. Whatever your purpose, whatever your desire, God, whatever your dreams for us, make it plain. Lord, we choose now to give priority to whatever you want. We give you permission, Lord, to speak to us in the night season. Lord, if we're too busy, would you wake us up and just make your plans plain to us? Lord, if you want us to start a business, to be a ministry, Lord, show us that. Make it plain. Lord, you're in the business of giving dreams. You said young men shall see visions and old men should dream dreams in the last days. Lord, we'll wait in your presence. We promise to wait in your presence to allow you to speak to us. Whatever time that may be, God, we know it comes from your presence. Thank you, Lord. Bless this crowd today. Give them a wonderful day today, Lord. Would you have your way in Jesus' name?